How Coronavirus Saved My Life, episode 32, The Warrior. I remember the first time I heard the term warrior mom several years ago. Quite frankly, I thought the term was silly. To me, the term warrior mom gave a false idea of what moms are. Why? Because my mom was anything but a warrior mom. Society gives us a false illusion and conditions us to believe moms are born to nurture. Moms are the shoulder to cry on. Moms always have your back. Moms are your greatest cheerleader. But what if you're a child whose mom is the opposite of this? In fact, what if your mom actually has made attempts your whole life to sabotage your happiness? What if little do you know you are in competition with your mom? What if your mom makes attempts to pit you and your siblings against one another? What if your mom has sex with one of your high school friends and takes his virginity? Being a child raised by a mother who was anything but a warrior mom was confusing for me. I felt unworthy, uncertain, unlovable, I would sabotage my, sabotage my own happiness, put others first, and did not realize I was a good person until the age of 44. I had to teach myself how to be a parent. I had to teach myself how to connect with my child. I had to teach myself it's important to make myself a priority because I'm a role model for my daughter and I matter. It was no accident how I met my, first, my next guest. Instantly, we shared a similar connection being raised by a mom who was not a warrior mom. Both of us navigating parenthood with no healthy examples and teaching ourselves how to be a warrior mom. My guest today showed me for the first time what a warrior mom truly means. She showed me warrior moms are honest about the ups and downs. Warrior moms don't have all the answers. Warrior moms ask for help in situations where they feel helpless and don't have all the answers. My guest today is Belinda. She's a geriatric nurse practitioner, adult geriatric nurse practitioner, currently working on a dual degree as a mental health nurse practitioner. She's currently taking a break from her career to focus on her role as a warrior mom of a daughter with ADHD. The purpose of today's episode is to show other moms it's okay to not have all the answers. It's okay to have days where being a parent sucks where being a parent is not always rewarding, especially when navigating school systems with little resources on ADHD guidance. Hi, Belinda. Thank you for coming on my show today and sharing your story as a warrior mom. And thank you for showing me what a warrior mom truly means. Thank you so much. Um, I think I'm already about to start crying from the intro. I'm trying to like blink really fast. To- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's so funny because we, we we met um, and within an hour, I was so impressed by you because you got a, a phone call about your child and it was, you were very upset and you didn't know us. You were sitting in a room full of people you barely knew. You didn't know me. And instantly you started sharing and being vulnerable about, because you were like, I don't know what to do, you know, and we'll talk about that situation here in a bit, but before we get started on your personal journey of becoming a warrior mom, can you give the audience members a little um, professional background of what, what is a geri, was an adult geriatric nurse practitioner and why you like psych, what drew you to psych? 
So an adult and geriatric nurse practitioner is an advanced practice registered nurse, and I have a, a master's degree where I can do primary care for adult and geriatric patients. Um, and I just provide that primary care for them. I've worked in all types of settings, um, nursing home, assisted living, home visits, and such like that. Um, what drew me into psych is because it's everywhere. <laughs> yeah. And um, I realized how valuable it is. Um, if you, I think if we can just fix education and mental health, we will fix most of the world's problems. So, yeah. and, and so being a woman of color, um, realizing that those resources were not available in the communities that I grew up in. Um, and if they were, we didn't talk about it. We didn't want to mm-hmm. talk about it. It was scary it was taboo um and so being the fact that mental health is 80 percent caucasian um and mental health um disproportionately affects people of color the math was not mathing (laughs) so um is representation is so important in mental health but not just the fact that someone that can relate to a person of color but knowing the cultural norms, knowing historical narratives, understanding all of that. And and so that's often missing when we go to providers. And so, um, you know, if you want to, if you have a problem, (laughs) I'm the type of person, like, if I see a problem, I'm going to want to fix it. So um, that's why I went back to school after I didn't want to go back to school. (laughs) I love that. That's very inspiring um, to help your own community and your culture. I'll, um, that's just, I mean, that's just beautiful. That, that makes me want to cry. Like (laughs) that is so needed and in a population um, that has faced a lot of adversity and all kinds of dynamics um, in society. And um, I just, that just, that just speaks to my heart, you know, because my, my thing is um, injustice and finding solutions to injustice. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't always have to be this like, super big fights like about what you're mad about and blah 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 it can be something so beautiful as choosing a career to to help people out that need it and need the resources when there's not much many resources provided I love that and so that's that's I love that so (laughs) um so can you give the audience a little bit of background um, about where you were born, how you came to this? Um, because when we met, I think it was before you got that phone call, or maybe it was after, I can't remember, but this is what impressed me so much about you was when you were talking about growing up and not having anyone that had graduated college, you know, mm-hmm. and there was a lot of substance abuse in your family and there's people gone, going to prison, you know, and then plus like your challenges with your own mother are very similar to mine. So, um, and we, we just are truly all connected. We really, truly right, are. Right, I, right. Just, I love it. Um, so if you could give the audience a little bit of personal background of, of how you got to where you're at. So, um, my mom was a team mom and so, um, her mom was a team mom. Mm. So there's definitely, you know, challenges with a child raising another child, um, with, um, with my father, I didn't meet my father. So I was like 16 and he had, um, spent a majority of my life in prison. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there, from my understanding, cause I don't have a lot of information about him. 
he was had issues with substance abuse. Um, my mom, she had a lot of issues. She wasn't present. Um, so my great grandmother raised me. So huge generational gap between me and my great grandmother. So um, my great grandmother was very big on education. Um, mm-hmm. Um, very big on doing my best, teaching me how to be disciplined, teaching me to know what I know. She's like, I remember she say, they can take everything away from you, but they can never take away what you know. And so that, um, that nurturing and grooming to just be excellent, not as a competitive way with someone else, but with, because I care, I'm going to do this good thing. Um, that push me like to just excel um when I got ready to go to college at that point I think that like my mom had not you know I think she had done like a semester or two of college like no one had graduated college so I didn't have anybody to like just say well how do you do this thing like financial aid (laughs) filling out the actual application all of this was just new to me um but it was like truly by the grace of God and just the just people that came along along the way that helped me you know um also you know I went to the military to pay for college so that helped as well but um yeah that's that's kind of how that went so with my mom like I said being a teen mom um there there's just there's a whole lot of things that happen you know um things that she shared three, four years ago. And it's just like, okay, at some point you don't know what happened. Everyone's memory has changed or whatever. But at the end of the day, what I remember is that my mom wasn't there. Um, yeah. My grandmother raised me. Um, I do remember, like, I think I was like in the sixth grade. She wanted to take me back to live with her in Ohio. And I was like, no, <laughs> I'm not going. I mean, I was, I remember being so vocal about it at, at, at six, in the sixth uh. grade. What, what grade are you? How old are you in sixth grade? Like what, 11, 12? I don't yeah. know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, 12. I'm like, no, I'm not going. And I asked my grandmother, I was like, can she make me do this? Do I have to leave? And um, I never, I didn't go. <laughs> and so we just, even though she was actually, you know, in the same city as me, we just never had the same, we just never had a good relationship. Um, it was, it was, it was hard. Um, navigating a relationship with someone who hadn't, figured hadn't dealt with her own stuff mm-hmm. and so um yeah it's uh I, I was before we were before we started with the podcast I was getting ready and I was thinking about how there are a bunch of broken women trying to raise other women to be whole and so I think that um she couldn't be you know because she wasn't you know oh goodness here we go <laughs> no. so yeah Yeah. I mean, I love what you just said. A bunch of broken women trying to raise whole women. Like that is, I have never heard that put like that before. That is like, I have chills. That is so, um, I mean, sad, beautifully sad, you know, a beautiful disaster, I guess you could call, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, I love that we're having this conversation because there are so many daughters, adult daughters, you know, of mothers who are broken and, it's hard to realize that person is broken because we think our parent is supposed to know it all. It's supposed to have right, all the answers right, and right. supposed to know better. Right. 
and they don't, you know, I mean, most of us were raised by emotionally immature parents. Most of us did not get our needs met in childhood. And so we repeat cycles over and over and over. And then, you know, we just, at the end of the day, like, even when we become successful, like, I mean, with myself, like I have it all. But I'm like, I was like, why am I so frustrated and overwhelmed all the time? I, why do I feel lonely? You know, why do not, do I not feel fulfilled, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I, I love what you said. And I, I'm happy that we're doing this because we are spotlighting this illusion that society has about mothers being this nurturer, Mother Teresa, yes. it is absolutely not freaking true. Not even oh, close, <laughs> not even close. I don't, I, I maybe know one person out of all the years of, of being me that mm-hmm. a mother would fit that role. You know what I mean? And, um, one of my friend's moms, you know, other than that, I just, I have so many friends that, um, have lots of challenges with their mothers and, um, it's, it's just never really talked about, you know, and I love that we're talking about this because I know people feel alone. They feel shame. They feel unworthy and we're right there with you. We gotcha. Right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that when we, when you hear all this, like, um, like the Brady Bunch and all of these perfect mothers and, you hear what society defines motherhood. And a lot of that is defined by men. And that's just wrong on a whole. Mm, <laughs> you may I have never thought about that. I never right. thought about that because you think about men that wrote, wrote all these shows, right? Wow. Right. That's right. mind blowing. Right. They perpetuate what motherhood is supposed to be. And, and they're not the mother, right? So when you are listening to all of this like standards and what this looks like, and then you're internalizing, like, I don't feel like that. It doesn't, that's not what my life looks like. Right. You don't, most people don't want to be like, I'm the oddball. Like I got like all jacked up over here. And so they keep quiet, not realizing that we all are hot messes trying to raise tiny humans to be good people. We we all mess it up. So, you know, Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I know like with my mom, it was so subtle. Her stuff was so subtle mm-hmm. and it was hard to explain, um, especially being a child where my brain's not developed, but my body, I could tell like it was wrong. Like what was happening in front of me, the adults that were, you know, immature adults, you know, mm-hmm. things that they were doing in front of me and the chaos that it was wrong, but it's hard to explain because it's so subtle. It's not like it's awful every single freaking day, you mm-hmm. know? But there are so many moments, these subtle, you know, just toxic, chaotic moments, you know, Mm -hmm. so, so your mother wasn't around. So did you, and then your, your father, you know, um, you didn't meet him until you were 16. Mm -hmm. And did anybody, was your grandmother, your great grandmother, did she like explain to you kind of what was going on with them? Like, was it ever talked about? It was within reason. I mean, my great grandmother and I just called it my grandma just for short, but, okay. but anyway, like my grandmother was, um, was honest about most, if not all things. Um, but she also kept in mind that I was still a child and, yeah. you know, she was still, she, like I said, generationally speaking, she was from a, a mindset of keep a child in a child's place, but she also was bent a little bit because I'm going to ask questions yeah. and I mean, yeah. And, and I'm, I'm not going to stop asking questions till you yeah. give me an answer that makes yeah. a little, at least some sense. So 
Um, I don't she, I don't remember her necessarily talking about my father, but as far as with my mother, it's um thought that door had opened. Maybe it did. I don't know. Do I have a ghost? Who knows? <laughs> it's our spirit guys, girl. I know, I know. And so um as far as my mother, I mean, she gave me within reason. Like I would ask questions and a lot of it she just didn't know. She was just like, I, I remember like, like, why doesn't she stay here? And mm. I think I think her answer was, um, she chooses to, she chooses not to. And so um, I think in some ways people might think that, oh, that was wrong to say. But in a way, I think that it took the pressure or at least some of it, because it didn't take it away all the way, um, that it wasn't my fault. Right. Because it's like, that's her choice. Yes. Not anything that you did. Yes. And and that was the extent of it. And I don't think that... um, like the time that she wasn't there, I don't think that it really mattered because I wasn't lacking in anything. I don't, yeah. I think the, the, the issues came when she came back and yes. I, was like, I see the, the contrast between like how my grandmother was and how she was. And that was like, okay, you know? And so, um, but she never like spoke negatively of her that I can remember. And if she did, it was so infrequent that it wasn't it didn't overshadow like I saw I judged my mom by like what I saw her do not what was said so Mm -hmm. have you ever had a conversation with your mom about any of this like um you know how you felt felt you know yes and it did not go well um Mm -hmm. so this was probably three to four years ago I don't remember what the conversation started out, but I think I, whatever it was, it led into me explaining like how it impacted me negatively. Mm. And so um, she said, okay, come on, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. <laughs> she was like, um, you, you can't keep blaming me. And like, she was like, just kind of, instead of saying, you know, you're right, I'm sorry. She was like, almost like I was wrong for having those feelings to which I said, oh, I said a couple of things, but one of the things that was impactful that I said was you left me in the same situation you tried to escape from. And you expected me not to come out like, with issues, you know? And then the second thing I said was that even though I've forgiven you, even though you made all of these choices and you regret them, it was, she said she regretted them. I said, it doesn't take away the pain, the trauma, the, all of the, the feelings like that doesn't go away. And I don't expect her to remember it in detail because it's not her trauma. It's mine. So the, the, the person who perpetuates the trauma doesn't always remember it. It's the person who's on the receiving end. Like, I remember all of it. I remember the tears. I remember the, the frustration. I remember the things that you did. You don't. And so um, I think she was angry with me and maybe hurt because I could simultaneously hold that I can still care for you, but I can still hold you accountable. Yes. And I don't think that she had experienced that type of whatever. It was yes. usually like a one or a other or, yes. Yes. or it was hate or, you know, it wasn't both. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that's what 
um, a lot of people misconstrue love for like love is like still me holding you accountable. Yes, yes. Me still saying, hey, you hurt my feelings. Yes. What happened? Yes. But at the same time, yes. yeah, like yeah, I'm mad at you about it. <laughs> right, that, <you> know? <laughs> right, right, right. I, that is God. That is so freaking true. Like because boundaries, you know, I was never showed that it's okay to set a boundary. In fact, if I would speak up about what was happening in front of me when I was a kid, Mm -hmm. you know, there were consequences that followed that. And so I am still working and navigating on setting boundaries, but navigating or setting boundaries, that's love. It's love for yourself and it's love for the other person because people, we think that people can read our minds. We think Mm -hmm. that people know what were what our expectations are, especially when you're in a rela- in a relationship, a marriage, and they don't, they don't because they're in their own childhood with their own stuff that's happened in their life, you know. Right, and so, right. so, and things can be multiple things at one time. Nothing is just one thing. There is duality. Right. We have to have duality in in the world, you know, or mm-hmm. the earth wouldn't exist, you know. Right, right, right. We right. have Absolutely. to have opposite poles, you know, or the earth would not literally not exist, you know. Right, right. That the boundary thing is such a um, like my cousin, we talk about this all the time, how our family has a lack of boundaries and and the audacity is strong, like the the entitlement. And I said this today when we were texting and I said, because there is ironically, there is a we there's a family issue going on with me and my mother now. Mm. And um and basically, without getting into all the details, um, my a relative texts me to say that there was this medical issue with my mom. With like this, this happened. This is the hospital room. As if I'm supposed to just get up and see about it, you know. Um, and it made me upset, not because of. It was, it was the lack of a choice. And so um, my response to that, because I didn't, I waited until today to respond. Um, and I said, hey, thank you. You know, um, I said, but I want you to, I would like to ask you to acknowledge that she and I don't have mm. a relationship and that I would like for you to look through the lens that yes, Give me the information, but give me the, 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 the space that if I don't want to go, that is okay and yes. respect their choice. Right. Yeah. And I think that it was like, she felt like I was obligated to do so. And I text my cousin. I was like, our family values the obligation over the love and fellowship. And because of that obligation, you're, the outcome is going to be the same. Like if you're obligated to do the things, it doesn't matter how you feel about me. If you love me, you do what I wanted you to do out of obligation. And I was like, having me does not grant you the privilege to make me be present, just like it doesn't give you the choice to not be present for me. And my cousin was like this, like she was just like, that is like, I, I just, the way that I worded it, I guess just shocked her, but it's just, is that just that itself like so those boundaries um I think people struggle with boundaries because they don't have them themselves right so they feel like it's disrespectful when you have them with them Mm -hmm. but everything 
has a boundary, you know, yeah. like my space, my peace, my, all of that, you know, and I don't think anyone should feel entitled right. to be in that space, you know, so. Right. And right. And just because you have a child does not mean that child is obligated to do anything for you. We are not responsible for navigating our parents' emotions. We're not responsible. We are not obligated to take care of them physically. You know, we don't owe them anything, okay? You you don't have a child so they can like take care of you, you know, yeah. emotional needs and you just, you know, you don't have to do anything now, you know? And even when you're adults, like, you know, but that's sometimes it's hard, especially in different cultures and communities, like, you know, they taking care of the mom, you know, for all these years. And, and then they're like, why am I so unhappy and, and feel frustrated and anxious and, and, and depressed and all these things, you know, um, and frustrated. So, um, yeah, that is, that is beautiful obligation. I love that word. I don't hear that word very often. I'm gonna start using it, Belinda, like obligation. I am not obligated to do anything like, Nothing. you know, Everything all I'm obligated to do is take care of myself and make myself a priority. And if you disagree with it, that's okay. Like then that's okay. You can do your thing. But I know for myself and my self-protection mm-hmm. that I am not obligated to do anything. And that was with my mom. That was kind of our last conversation because mm-hmm. she felt I was obligated to come bring my daughter around, you know, to her house for the weekend, drop her off. Mm-hmm. When yeah. my mom is on like hydrocodone and all these pain pills, um, you know, and, and falling and can't even walk and, um, you know, being very inconsistent. And then at the same time, my dad had died. And then she was like, screaming at me for grieving my dad's death saying I was, you know, selfish. Um, because after all, he didn't pay child support. And then she's the one that bought me the pretty dresses. So I mean, I should not be grieving his death, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, it's so interesting, but, but that was the end of our relationship, you know, over mm-hmm. a year ago is when she crossed my boundary and I set the boundary very simple. Like, you know, when we don't know how to set boundaries, we, we do this thing called over explaining, you know, where we want right. to say, I love you, blah, 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 you know, and, but the boundary can get lost in all of that. So you just set boundaries very simply and you say, here's what I need, you know, and also, you know, the rule of thumb is those who react loudest to the boundary Mm -hmm. shows the boundary was needed in the first place. Mm -hmm. So the fact that your cousin applauded you, that is amazing. That is, that is because you're, you're, you're changing the cycles in your family with multiple things. And that is like, totally beautiful I love that can I add something to you about the boundaries like I learned so much about boundaries in the past like year and a half two years and a lot of times when people set boundaries they're like you better not do this like the boundary is for the person the boundary is not for the person the boundary is for you because you cannot control the behavior that someone else does and the way I explain boundaries to my children to my students to like patience, everybody is like, my boundary has nothing to do with what you do. My boundary is how I respond to whatever. Mm -hmm. It's like, if you do this, I choose or I choose not to do this based on whatever action. And boundaries should not be a punishment. A boundary should not be a punishment to say, because you did this, I like it shouldn't be a punishment for the person itself. It right. be it's not it's not conditional love. Like right. you know I mean? it should be liberating. Yes. The boundary. Yes. It should be peaceful. Like yes. if it yes. should be peace, 
you know? So yes. yeah. Yes. Yes. I, <laughs> I, I love that your cousin was supportive. That's really good. That shows you, um, you know, that there are, you know, good people, you know, in your family. And oh, yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. You, I have some you taught, you helped her, you know, taught her something and that's cool. I mean, that just is, that's amazing. She's so, the one that teaches me all the things and she's the younger cousin, but she is like probably one of the most emotionally intelligent people I've ever met. Mm-hmm. But because of that, she has taught me and we, we grow together essentially, but like me and all my cousins, there's a whole heap of us. And we, we, we do, we, we express that emotional intelligence with each other. Um, and it just, it, it's reflected in how we raise our children, how we react with each other, all the things. And so we are definitely focused on breaking generational that curse, is, for sure. I, I love that. I love that. I'm, I'm kind of jealous. I wish I had that. You can be our cousin. We take all oh, Please, can I, please, please, please. Um, um, but yeah, and you, you know, you don't, you don't, and you're not obligated to have a relationship with your parents. You don't have no. to have. So what I was, when I was, Cause you know, I didn't want to have a child and then I got pregnant, you know, after 12 years of marriage. And I remember just being like, I mean, I was, I didn't want to have a girl. And of course I had pregnant with a, a girl, but just being like, just like devastated. Cause I was like, so scared. I was going to be like my mom, you know, and missing that mother gene. Um, but mm-hmm. it's been such a healing process for me, um, mm-hmm. you know, navigating all of that has that been that way for you with your children absolutely so first of all I was told I couldn't get pregnant so the doctor told me that so I was like thinking I had to get on fertility drugs and all this other stuff so I was like at least I can control that because like I didn't want kids so I was like I don't have anything to worry about and then the pregnancy test said pregnant I'm still trying to figure out how that happened don't know but anyway (laughs) but when I got pregnant I was like I want to be a boy mom I was like I need boys and the reason I said I wanted to be a boy mom was because I have all girl cousins except for like one boy cousin and my brother is the only boy and so it's mostly girls my grandmother had all girls like it's all these girls and I was like I didn't want like you said I didn't want to be that I didn't want to repeat the things and then she turned out being a girl and I was like oh all right well here here we are and so I had to figure out what kind of mom I wanted to be and that has evolved because after my second child it changed to a lot a different type of what kind of mother would I want to be like with my oldest it was just being present like just being her mom being there like raising her not leaving her with someone else and it was like showing her love and like all of these things and like just giving her all the things that I didn't have while also giving her the things I did have as far as like you know structure and such and then when I had my second daughter when I got pregnant the second time I was like for sure this is a boy no girl (laughs) so I was like okay here we go again and then it migrated into the emotional intelligence the 
dealing with the trauma because, oh, this is, this is how I can describe it the best way. It's like, even though I didn't, I tried to separate myself from my family, my, like the people in my family that I thought was like the toxic or the negativity or whatever you want to call it or whatever I just didn't want to be like, I still had part of that. And the way I describe it is like, if you take two pieces of like construction paper and glue them together, and then you pull them apart. And even though they're apart, there's still remnants of that other piece of paper there. Mm. I still had shit to deal with. And I had not realized that just because I was away from like, I'm not talking to this family member, this family member, because this family member made me feel bad. It made me have depression and all this other stuff. But I'm not talking to these people actively. I still was dealing with it. Um, it it showed up in how I made decisions. It showed up in how I expressed myself or how I didn't express myself. And so having her was like, okay, so God trying to be real funny. I'm not laughing, but whatever. And I had to, had to take care of the emotional part, my own trauma, my own, insecurities my own imposter syndrome I had to deal with that to be able to be a good mother for them and I think and this was last year when I came to this conclusion I had been so focused on being a good wife a good mother a good friend a good this a good that and I was running myself fucking ragged yes I was like I can't I was like like you said, feeling like, why well, I'm so frustrated? Why am I so unfulfilled? And so for my birthday last year, my husband was like, what you want for your birthday? And I said, to be alone. Oh. And he kind of looked, I said, I have found an Airbnb and I want to go be by myself. And ironically, my birthday was like, so Father's Day is that Sunday. My birthday was that Saturday. So I said, like, I'll be back home on Sunday but I need to leave. And so being by myself and having to think with no interruptions. And I said, I've been spending all this time trying to be a good, all of these things. I just need to be a good Belinda. Yeah. And when I'm a good Belinda, everyone who is in contact with me benefits from that. Whether it's my children, my husband, my friends, my cousins, my students, my patients, the barista at Starbucks, like they all benefit because I show up in my authentic and whole self. And it's easier to just to be a good me than to be a good, all of these other things for everybody else. And so that's just kind of like how that migrated through that motherhood to where it's like, I can, I love my kids enough to say, I can, I have to put me first because oh. I don't, I don't serve you if I'm not Yes, I love that. Um, The the alone time. Um, Like for me, that's where my really big shift came is when I got coronavirus Mm -hmm. and I was in quarantine for that week. I mean, that it was, um, it was scary, you know, because I didn't have all of my comforts that I normally had. I couldn't touch anybody. I was scared. You know, this beginning of the pandemic, nobody knew what was what. And, um, you know, there was all these what ifs, you know, and, and, and having a pivotal moment in my backyard where I thought I was going to die. And for the first time in my life, like like listening to my inner being. And so, you know, there's so many people like you hear about, you know, people going to prison and when they get in the hole for like 45 days, that's where they find God, you know, that Mm -hmm. alone time is so important because that is where you 
find yourself in the, your higher self. There, your illusions, your conditioning can start going away. The veil gets thinner. And so alone time is super important because you're, you look at yourself, you don't have any external stuff. It's all internal. Yes. We, we search for all these external validations in being a mom and a good wife, you know, and doing all of the try, 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 and, and feel, you know, dissatisfied and unfulfilled because we're, it's almost like this external validation, you know, right. and I love that you're able to recognize, like, I've got to get to myself. Like that is just, and it's so true. Like these are the barista at Starbucks, like, Yes, when you heal, we all heal. Right, right, right. You know? Right, right. It's like, um, there was, you know, you know, TikTok is my favorite thing. And so like, it was this girl, lady on TikTok, and she was like, everything that defines what a good, like, woman is, is by what we do for everybody else. You know, good wife, good wife mother, all these things. And it's like, like you said, the external validation. And it's like, no wonder we are so like lonely because have you ever have you tried to please a five-year-old they are fickle like they don't my daughter will like something Monday Wednesday on and Friday and on Tuesday and Thursday she doesn't like what you just like this is your favorite meal last week what do you mean you don't like it anymore and so because they are fickle because they are human we can't build our identity around something that they're ever changing and that is what they teach us about motherhood like it's, it's just, it's crazy. It's bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and the ego wants to label everything, you know, good mom, good wife, bad mom, bad wife, you know? And so, um, you know, I, what I look at is like kind of now in the shift in my journey is like, nothing is neither good nor bad. It just is, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, putting ourselves up, making ourselves a priority that just instantly makes us a good mom, you know, being authentic to ourselves. And what I loved when I met you is, um, you know, you were, like I said, you didn't even, you didn't even know who we were, you know, and, uh, you were there at at my job, you know, as a nurse practitioner, psychiatric nurse practitioner student. Yeah. And, And just you being authentic. That's why, I mean, Anybody that talks about their adversities and overcoming yeah. and how they overcoming or they're trying to overcoming to me, that's like attractive AF, you know what I mean? Like right. that is so attractive um, because, you know, shame no longer has power, you know, really, really. fear no longer has power, you know, and I just love how you were like vulnerable and, and able to share what was going on with you. Um, I want to kind of start talking about your, your daughter, yeah. your 10 year old daughter. Yeah. yeah. And um, she has ADHD. Yes. Okay. And so what was so interesting, because ADHD is sort of not in my world, you know, yeah. um, because I, you know, treat adults mainly. Right, right, right. And, and so I've had several friends that have, you know, kids uh, with ADHD and navigating the frustrations of the school system Mm -hmm. and being, maybe they're like a single parent, you know, kind of thing. Um, But how, how old was your daughter when you first started seeing those signs? Three. 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 Wow. It was obvious. It was very obvious. Um, She, so we homeschooled, I homeschooled her starting at like three, three and a half, probably, yeah, about three, three and a half. And she would read 
And in the middle of like, so she spent, she started reading at three and a half. She started reading early and she'll read. And she's like, the dog went up the, up the road. And you remember that time we went to da, 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 da. like, it's just like completely off topic. She could not sit down. She would break focus instantly. It was to the point where she literally would sit on the floor with her feet in the air, do with her holding her workbook, doing her workbook, like her, like it was wow. obvious. And so, um, because we homeschooled it wasn't an issue we can take breaks whenever we want to we can Mm -hmm. you know it was flexible that's the benefit of homeschooling well then we had to go to school and then shit got real yes and then I was like the school system is full shit yes yes yeah (laughs) they are the most frustrating people and I'm like I know the things and I'm challenged yes so yeah that's And so I probably went on a tangent. Sorry. But no, yeah. no, 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 no. This is important. And and to clarify, we're talking about the Texas school system, right? Yes. Where, yes. you know, Texas is kind of notorious for, you know, cutting budget for school and mental health, you know, oh, yeah. um, you know, so that's kind of how that the politics work with that. And so um, when she first started, how old was she when she first started public school in Texas? She was going to sec. she was in the second grade. So what is that? Eight. Yeah, I think so. Seven, so eight, did you eight, did you have like a plan? Did you first of all, did you already know this was going to be a challenge, or did you have like a plan in your mind of like how it was all going to go? So I so I made the teachers aware, like, hey, she possibly has ADHD. Like, she's never gone to school before, so I'm not sure how this is going to play out in like the things. Right? Even when we did homeschool co-op, she still played well with others. She didn't have any like, um, like behavioral issues like that, right? So I, I didn't know what to expect. Um, but she, she had the classic signs of ADHD: inattention, you know, intruding space of others, can't wait, like the whole thing, the whole gamut, right? And so, um, ironically, the week so she had they had spring break, and she had took her to get uh, evaluated, and then. Wait, wait, it was before spring break. This is 2020. Yeah, I'm going to get to that point. So it wow. was, it was, it was, uh, we got her evaluated. We came back on spring break to get the results of everything. And then COVID happened. So she was diagnosed right before COVID. So she never went back to school. So it was like, there is this time of like, between the diagnosis and before and getting back to school and trying to figure things out. Um, so that part was good and bad at the same time because COVID just disrupted the school altogether. And then it's like having them sit in front of a computer for hours. It was just like, oh, but then trying to, but seeing, I saw the things. So when she went back, so when third grade happened and it's like, okay, we're dealing with this. And now we, you know, just kind of navigating the things. It was easier for me to speak to certain things because it's like, I saw it. I don't have to depend on a teacher who may have other students that they're not paying this close attention. Like, I I know this is what I see. And, you know, sometimes the, the, they can be, I'm not going to say distrusting, but they think, oh, these parents don't know anything. So then I got to drop all my credentials. I got to give them the alphabet soup. And let them know that I'm 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 not your run of the mill, just 
complaining type of mom. This is these this is my background. <laughs> and so that and 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 I and it's not to it's not to throw that around. It's like it's to say, because I was I was invalid, they invalidated me. The director of the special education department basically disregarded evidence-based practice, my concerns, valid concerns of what was going on. And I told her, I said, I don't know what mom, kind of mama you think I am. So let me tell you, I don't care what you say. She's going to get the testing, whether I have to take her all the way to Plano or not, like, I, which is an hour away from my house. And I was like, I will get that testing done because there's a problem. And she tried to say, well, she's not failing. And I said, does she have to fail to have a problem to not struggle? Like that's stupid. That's asinine. I said, you know, I said, you're the reasons I have stupid. I say, I have, I have students that think that they're stupid. And she got quiet. I said, I have so many students that come and think that they are dumb and they're not capable when the whole time they had a learning disability that was undiagnosed. I said, so, okay, we, you want to tussle, we can tussle. And so I ended up taking her, you know, be careful what you say, because it comes true. I ended up having to take her all the way to Waco, <laughs> not Waco, Wiley, to um, get her tested. But what I thought was going on was going on. And it came, you know, the neuropsych testing pinpointed, and it was exactly what I thought was going on. So, yeah. So what was her reasoning of why she couldn't get the testing because she wasn't failing? Were there other reasons besides that? No, that wasn't. That was the only reason she said that she wasn't failing. Like she passed the star test. She had good grades and and, and good grades in was um, she was basing this off of her third grade test results and test grades and academics and stuff. Yes, she made A's and B's, but they also gave them multiple opportunities to do the assignment. So it's like, you know, you only, you can, you, if you got 10 times to do the assignment, (laughs) you're going to eventually get all the answers, right? Right. It was very skewed. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't like a normal school environment. Mm -hmm. Because they were, they were trying to close those gaps with COVID and everything else. Like they knew they were trying to be Mm-hmm. Um, understanding so it was mm-hmm. that and just like oh she's she's she does she doesn't have bad grades she's not failing she's passing her star test blah 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 so she she doesn't have a reason to be tested so so you went and got her tested and mm-hmm. then what happened after that like do they did she start on any kind of medication at that time or what how did how does what's the next step after they're formally diagnosed yeah, so um, so she like like I said, she got diagnosed in second grade. We started medications. Um, let's see, did we start in fourth grade? Before I think we started in the fourth grade. So last summer, yes, last summer, we started um, you know stimulants, um, which definitely was a game changer. And then that's when I was asking for the official like neuropsych testing. So after I got the neuro official neuropsych testing, um, it was um, it was a disaster. Let's just say that. Really? Okay. So, so to paint the context, I think this director denied the access, and I guess and I emailed like I emailed her. I sent the evidence based practice. Like everything I was requesting was like scientifically proven that this is what happens, and no response. And so I was really by myself getting, putting the pieces together, getting her a new, getting her a therapist, getting her, you know, the neuropsych test and trying to find a neuropsychologist that sees children, that's in network, 
that's taking, um, that's actually taking patients is a challenge within itself. I think it took me like a month just to find a, a psychologist and I didn't even, get, and I still didn't find one. And the way I found the psychologist was, it was my preceptor. And I said, I hope I'm not violating boundaries, but I'm at the end of my rope. Mm. Do you have a psychologist I can take my daughter to? She said, oh yeah, call, call Levi. And she's like, and tell Levi, you know, you're my friend so they can get you in faster. So I got the neuropsych testing done. And if you know, neuropsych testing take a while. And so they tested her over like two to three weekends of the testing because it's so much testing. Yeah. And um, there were things that they picked up on the first test. They want to reevaluate. So this was not a quick thing. And then we had to go back and get the results. And so once I got the results in the process of doing that, going through the neuropsych testing, the special education department reached out to me because that director got fired. And yes, she got fired. And they were like, we, they gave me like direct contact to like the super, the, the assistant superintendent because how they, she denied it and she didn't have a reason to. And so they were like, we can do the testing. We can do the testing. And then there were still delays with even getting that done. So even, even though they kind of like prioritized it, it still was delayed and got the neuropsych testing, just getting the consent. And, and literally it was, so school ended on the Wednesday. The psychologist finally saw her on a Monday, the Monday before the last, in the last week of school. And we're still like, she emailed me yesterday talking about, oh, I'm going to work on her evaluation today. Like it's still ongoing and we still haven't gotten there. Um, I was denied behavioral plans when I asked for them. Um, I asked them for behavior. They were like, well, she's not, she's not, uh, she's not having behavioral problems. And I was like, yeah. Then she ended up getting referrals and it's on her school record. And it's like, I tried to put these things in place to prevent yeah. that from happening. Yeah. Now she has referrals. Yeah. So it's just, it was a challenge. And, and I wish I could say, oh, this is how I navigated it, but I'm still fighting. I'm yeah. still yes. advocating and yes. still like raising hell in a professional way, of course. Yes. But yes. It's yes. still hard. But most yes. of what I have done is, um, remember I said, my grandmother said, they can take everything away. They can't take what you know. So a lot of the, the, the biggest strength I have in this is like me doing my own research and me creating the avenues to get the help that she needs without necessarily relying on the school system. Yes. Because like, technically they're supposed to pay for counseling. They don't want to pay for that. I know that. And I said, you know, I said, y'all should be able to be paying for counseling. Y'all, y'all need to individual counseling once a week. That is because she has the qualifications to do so. Yes. Yes. So like, yeah. And the reason all of this, these groundwork, these pebbles that you're laying and why it's so important to start early and have a plan is because the depression rates, the anxiety rates, the social rejection aspect of ADHD is so high that that it leads to substance abuse, right? Uh, Not graduating high school, going to college. And uh, there are so many things tied to it because Okay, so if you're a child and you have ADHD, you can't sit still, it's difficult to make friends because 
if you don't have that, if a child, another child doesn't have that, they're not going to sit next to you. That's distracting, right? right, they, right. they need to be, they can concentrate, but they, th that's distracting. And, and so, so there, and a lot of like kids uh, with ADHD miss, miss those social cues of, Hey, not right now, you know, and right. there's so many different aspects to it. And that's why it's so uber important to start all of that early right. um, is to help navigate there because I was reading about how they're having new research come out with ADHD about their emotional dysregulated system and right. the ties to that and they're they're really starting to look into the emotional dysregulated system um, because there is it's not just they can't concentrate or sit still there are so many dynamics social dynamics to it and affects their self-esteem so severely. Right. And so um, that's why it's so uber important to get all that. And I just, it's so, that's so frustrating. I could, I could see how frustrating and, and mm -hmm. how disappointing that, that could be, you know, um, but, you know, it's no accident that you're in this role, you know? No, can I share one other, like, so um, I got diagnosed with ADHD, like, last year yes and there's a very high heredity rate genetic rate right. associated right and when I when so when you see the when it's like oh like when you talk about the research about social cues and all this other stuff and it's like I think back and I'm like I me me yeah. textbook yeah I was the most socially awkward child and I was like with this group of friends and this group of friends and it was just like I was like I was and like like you said, kids, they just like, she's weird. We don't like her. Yeah. You, know, you know what I'm saying? And yes, it's, it's, yes, it's true. Yes, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. And also too, is like the hyperactivity piece of it. Yeah. They're looking at it. It's not that they're actually hyper. They're actually tired and their body is dysregulated. Their brain, it, emotional dysregulation. So instead of like a nor like normally like, oh, I'm tired, I'm gonna lay down, their body is dysregulated, their system's dysregulated, so it comes out as hyperactivity. So they're really looking at the link of, of the amount of sleep mm -hmm. um, and also exercise and, you know, high protein diet, you know, there, there's a whole mm -hmm. so many gluten and all that stuff. Because again, like we were talking about earlier, like nothing is just one thing, you know? Right, right. You know, and I know like one of my friends, um, she was a single parent and- mm -hmm. Her, her son had, you know, ADHD and she really wanted to try like the natural way first before like putting me him too, on medication. And there was so much resistance to that. They were almost laughing at her. Like, and they were so um, just really pushing for her to put her child on medication. She tried for a year and then she just basically surrendered to it because it was just, you know, there was no support. You know, you know I agree with that. And I, I remember the, the psych NP that I took her to, and it was like, the first thing out of her mouth was, I'm going to start her on. And at this point, again, she didn't know I was in, she didn't know my background. And when I'm in, when I'm out in public, I look busted up. I look like who did it and what for. So I don't even come off like, oh, she, she has, you know, class, you know, class or whatever. I just look like a bone. And so that, that there was no education. There was no this. And it made me resistant to it. Like I was like, yeah, no. And I spent 13 weeks doing an echo clinic, learning about ADHD, 
um, with uh, Chicago uh, School of Medicine mm. so I can arm myself so I can know the information but oh. you're like they just don't they just push the meds and so when we went to our ADHD specialist like you said he said she needs to be does she do sports she needs to do sports preferably a team sport mm-hmm. he talked about the protein diet he talked mm-hmm. about the sleep and he talked about the medications like which is why we are, he's my doctor as well. He's so holistic. And before he even did all of that, he ruled out all the other reasons of like ADHD. You know, did you know that like, I think it's like 80 to 90% of children with ADHD have an iron deficiency anemia. Oh, wow. No, I didn't know that. And that plays a part into the ADHD as well. And there's like this whole cascade of proteins and how that, and all that stuff. And I can't recall it right now. Yeah. But, you know, it's a whole thing. So I wonder, I wonder if vitamin D deficiency plays a role too, because vitamin D deficiency, I'm such a advocate I put always put all my clients most most of my clients are on vitamin d because most in the world is like vitamin right. d deficient and and it's linked to depression and everything else right. yeah. and lower immunity and all that stuff and um so that's just that's fascinating as because there are so many different dynamics to it so your your daughter has she had issues with like social stuff um oh yeah feeling rejected how do you how do you navigate and talk with her about that so we had a good conversation today um Mm -hmm. when we went to so we do therapy um we have family sessions um, oh I love it and so like I walk the talk like I tell my patients everybody needs a therapist yes Mm -hmm. I got one too you know yeah um And so some of the behaviors, I try to get down to the root cause, you know? So she was being mean to these other kids and I was like, why? And her meanness was like, well, I don't want them to take advantage of me. And it was something that was so futuristic. It was like in her mind, she had said, she just created this narrative in her head that if I do this, then they're going to continue to do this. And then they're going to take advantage of me. And so to prevent all of that, I'm just going to be mean today. Mm. That was her mindset. And so navigating all of that is really just meeting her where she is, figuring out how she's feeling. Um, Today, we talked about how emotions become thoughts, thoughts become behaviors, and our emotions are neither good nor bad. And I told her, I said, your emotions are just, your feelings are just your feelings, but we got to figure out if it's a valid or invalid feeling. So like, I, I just talked to her and, and it's not always good. Right. It's, it's, it's challenging. We've made progress because sometimes she don't even want to talk to me. She's like, I don't want to talk about my feelings with you. And it's like, well, I can't help you, (laughs) you know? Yeah, I want to fix it myself and yeah. you know, all of that. But, um, but as far as like socially, it's like, um, making sure she's in safe places, um, making sure that she's, um, surrounded by adults that, that don't, they're not ugly. Cause I almost went mama bear on this one mama one time. Cause she was like, I, I, they were the, the my two daughters were in the same place, literally in different rooms. They were next to each other. So I went over to this room where they were doing an activity. Then I came back and one of the moms was like, oh yeah, um, she was just 
the way I can't remember her exact verb, which was like, oh yeah, she just, she just was answering all the questions. Well, it was science and my daughter loves science. So she was like, she hyper-focused and she got excited. And so the mom thought that she was just trying to get attention. And, and I was just like, you told me I can cuss on here, right? So no, I, said, girl, yeah. I, was like, I was like, this bitch just yeah. don't know. I yeah. school drag her yeah. over my babies. Yeah. Like right. over, like, and right. I just, it's just just so making sure she's in a safe place where she doesn't have to right. um, deal with that. But I also tell her that just because a person is adult doesn't mean that they tell you the truth. Right. And you don't believe everything that an adult says to you. Right. So it's that right. constant. It's is not keeping her sheltered. Yes. It's keeping her protected, but also telling her that I can't protect you from everything. Yes. So it's it's just it's a work in progress. Yeah. It's just Yeah. And I can see why you reacted to that mom, because with a kid that has ADHD, it's also super important to acknowledge when they have those good moments. And that was a good moment for her. And I could see why that pissed you off, because sometimes those moments can be few and far between Mm -hmm. so much going on. And that was a good moment for your daughter. And she needs to right, right. She needed praise, uh, not some mom's jealousy. I don't know, but yeah, um, it was just weird. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. And when when those moments of when you're, it's you know, because it's not like you just fix everything instantly or figure it yeah. out. You, you do all this. So in those moments where maybe there's something that you can't control or don't know what to do, like how do you how do you navigate that within yourself? Oh, I, I had to deal with that a couple of weeks ago, you know, um, all of the, the, like the pouring into her and trying to help her. There was, there was a point where I was just frustrated. I was frustrated in the decisions she was making. I was frustrated in her behaviors that impacted like summer camp and all this stuff. It was just a lot. And I was emotional. I was tired. I was frustrated and I started lashing out at her. Mm. And I was not, and, and I, I, I remember I stopped the car and I said, I may not talk to you for a couple of days or for a while. And I said, it's not big that I'm mad at you. I gotta, I'm frustrated with things I can't control Mm. and I'm taking it out on you and you don't deserve that. You don't need Mm. that. And I apologize for, I said, I'm sorry for not being a good mom. You know, I was like, this is, and, and I was like, I'm, I'm sorry. And I said, but I need to pull back because I'm doing more damage. Yes. I don't need to be emotional mm-hmm. than good. So um, I did that. I didn't yes. really talk to her. I didn't yes. really talk to her. Yes. I just, it's good morning. Hey, I need you to wake up. Like very like not cut and dry, but like that without the emotion, without having a response. Right. Yes. yes. And then I went through this phase, like for days, I was like depressed. And I say, like, I literally remember this, like, like I said, this is not too long ago for the July or the July. I I stayed awake probably four hours out of the entire 24 hour period. I slept it like I slept so I, I thought about me and how, 
why was I so upset? (laughs) And I was upset because I didn't want her to be a statistic. I didn't want her to fall. I didn't want her to be the percentage that has depression, anxiety, substance abuse, this, 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 and this, and this. I was frustrated because I was like, I worked so hard to give you all of this. And it's, yeah. this is not, this is not what I pictured. Yeah. You and didn't I want had, her to be the people that you were surrounded by in childhood. I, yeah. I just all of it, all of it. I didn't want her to just be, it's in, 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 in it's the most simplistic form. It was, it was that what was going on was not what I had envisioned motherhood to be. Yeah. 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 And And, totally true because we, 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 they're fantasy land. Like, you know, the mother putting the cookies in the oven, you know, um, you you know, the fantasy it's total fantasy and total illusion. And, um, it's just, it's just conditioning by society. But I will, I, I totally know what you mean. Like I've lashed out at my child being irritable and frustrated and taking accountability like your mom didn't and my mom didn't is so part of breaking that cycle uh, right. because, you know, I'll recognize immediately when I do it and immediately apologize to her and hug her and tell her I'm really sorry. And then I'll explain to her kind of what kind of why I felt the way I felt and you know it's not and then it's not about her or you know maybe something happened and it reminded me maybe I'm frustrated because I'm a single mom and I'm doing it all and I've been doing it all my whole damn life and I'm tired of doing it all you know what I mean right so I'll explain that and I'm like but you know we just move forward and we just come up with a different plan we figure things out like needing help like you know, it's like being a single parent and not having help. Now she, now we figure out a plan. She gets a chore list. She helps me out. And I, I say, could you ask me, you know, once a day, Hey mom, what do you need? Help? What do you need help with? Mm-hmm. No one ever asked me that growing up, you know? Right, right. And it's important that our children see us as humans. Yes. But yes. it's also important that we see them as humans. Yes. Like they yes. are a whole yes. person, a whole human right. being. They're not extensions of us they are a whole separate right. thing with a soul you know right right with their own emotions and their own yes. things yes yeah and and so yes and so all of that and it's just and so once I got out of like I said okay what do I need I need a new therapist like I was like I need to do this I need to do that I need to whatever though all those things I love that you you asked yourself that question what do I need because that's part of boundaries right because we you know when we do codependent behaviors you know putting Mm -hmm. other people first you know that's one thing that I started doing is asking myself what do I need when I feel like Mm -hmm. I'm about to make a codependent decision I'll be like wait a minute, what do I need right now in this moment? I'm going to take care of all the things I need to take care of. And if I can help this person, if they've asked me for help, I will help them, you know? Right. And we've been told that that's selfish. You're being selfish. And we, we, we have, and I think that like, and this is why I say mental health is like, what's all the world? Because like students ask me, do you use therapeutic communication? at home or like with your friends. And I'm like, if you talk, if you listen to my cousin and I talk, you would think it was like this counseling session or this therapeutic session. Like my cousin, I, I did something and, you know, everyone was like, I said, oh yeah, people were like excited that I, you know, were congratulations. She said, but how did you feel about it? 
like that type of thing. And I'd say there is no thing is that I don't believe in therapeutic communication because really it means that everybody else is like horrible people. Like they're non-therapeutic. It's like, we should talk this way, this way with everyone, not just in healthcare. We should all respect boundaries. We should all want to empower, you know, everyone else, like the people that we engage with. And we're not taught that in society. We're taught like, it's such a contradictory thing because we're taught to put everybody first mm-hmm. or you're selfish, but you better bring home the first place trophy. Right. Right. And then, and then we all just react to each other while we're out there on the street. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, that cashier was so rude to me. You know, I don't know what I did to her, you know? And right. when, when maybe that cashier just her husband just died or, or whatever it is, you know, right. so we just all start reacting to one another and nobody's like listening, you know, or pausing. And, and also too, is like when someone is, um, you know, someone is telling us something, someone in our family or friend or child, even, you know, trying to tell us something, you know, we think that we need to respond when all they want to just someone to listen. We all just want someone to listen. We don't have to react or respond. Just right. listen. And if we don't know what to say or do, like what I say is, what do you need in this moment? I do that too. What yeah. do you need in this moment? How can I help you? I know when I'm exploding and that frustration and overwhelm, when someone says, what do you need help with? I swear to God, half of it just goes, oh. I'm like, I don't, I don't need help with anything. Just someone saying that just instantly makes me feel so much better. Right. Cause we, again, just conditioning of the superwoman syndrome and yes. it, it's, and I, and, and I hate to bring race. Like, well, in, in this instance, I think black women, we struggle with that so much. Mm-hmm. I mean, setting boundaries, just setting boundaries, but even more so superwoman. Like, the superwoman syndrome, yep. like there's the yep. whole, yep. Yep. I did a, I did a presentation about mm, two, three years ago, no, probably two years ago, um, to a group of affluent black women about mm-hmm. the superwoman syndrome and mental health. And so we, I, I can, I see it so frequently in, in black women that that whole ask for help thing, it's like, what, yep. you know, yep. it's, it's, it's foreign and it's like, yep we're congratulated for handling all the things and it's almost like we're congratulated for not being human yeah yeah I I you're speaking my language right now I mean one of my episodes is about codependency in the African-American community where one of my friends who's a social worker um was speaking about all of this and I mean she's in her 40s and she's just now realizing it's okay to put herself first and um you know and there's sort of this um and with her kind of story is like you know Mm -hmm. watching the black male struggle and so taking care of that and saving and rescuing and all this stuff and then then they're like then they feel then you know with in her community is like then black women feel betrayed when they date a white woman you know because they did all this saving and rescuing and Mm -hmm. um they didn't get a thanks you know And what's also interesting about that is I'm like wondering, well, did he ask you to rescue him? Did he ask for your help? Or did you just go into mama mode and do that because we all have codependency, right? You know, and, you know, one thing that was interesting about that episode is kind of like 
talking about how codependency in the African-American community started with the enslaved people. That's literally what kept them alive. You know, they had to be codependent and take care of each other or they were going to die, you know? And so now that's so ingrained in the DNA and all that stuff and the ancestral trauma and that healing, setting boundaries and speaking up and just talking about those subjects will start healing. Opening the conversation about that is, is so healing. And I will say, like when I am doing like outpatient clinic, like med management, when I have African-American female, I mean, they're getting <laughs> from this white girl, I'm telling them, you need to put yourself first. You owe nobody. Right. And the tears just come because they've never heard that before. We've before. never heard it. But you know, the thing about it is like, I think like how my grandmother raised me, my great grandmother raised me. She raised me out of her how she had to do to survive. Like you said, like my great, like I did the math before we came on. I was like, okay, how old would my great grandmother be if she was still alive? Late eighties, early nineties. So she, her, her, the, she raised me in her survival mindset. Mm. And so, and even though I don't, I don't, I don't condone how my mom was. I don't even condone how my grandmother, my, my maternal, I call her my mean granny, but <laughs> I call her my mean granny. But well, I had a mean granny too. I, I, I don't condone or excuse their behavior, but I definitely understand Yeah, because I thought yeah. about, yeah, I thought about how my, my maternal grandmother was 15 when she had my mom and then my, then, then now she's a grandmother and she's not even 40. No. Like the, like, yeah. And they're already struggling. Like I can imagine. And even how she treated me, like how that, like she loved me out of her fear. So she didn't have to struggle again. Like mm-hmm. it's so multi-layered. And yes. like, because they had the, the most of the black women I know have not had an opportunity to love out of a place of rest mm-hmm. and a place of peace. They still, they love out of fear. They love out of, you know, does that make sense what I'm saying? Like my, my granny was so afraid that I was going to go to college, get pregnant in high school. And then I waited so long to get pregnant. They thought I would go get pregnant at all. You know, this, this, Belinda, what you're saying right now, this is a whole podcast episode in itself. Like, I'm not (laughs) even kidding. Like I I would, I want to talk about this for a whole hour because there are, like you said, there's so many multi-layer and you're saying things that I am like, what, huh, huh? Like, I never thought of about it, like doing it out of fear. Like that is so like survival mode. That is like so true. And, um, will you please come back? Can we please do another episode on this? I'm begging you. I, this is, this is like lighting me up right now I am I am yes this is talked about like big time um so thank you so much I want to ask you one a couple things like so if you're a mother trying to navigate let's say you you can see the signs for yourself that your child Mm -hmm. has ADHD what is the first step someone should do get an evaluation Okay. And be very judicious on who that evaluation comes from, because um, a lot of pediatricians, even though they can treat, and you know this because you're a psych MP, they, P, general practitioners can definitely diagnose ADHD, but a lot of them are uncomfortable. And there is a lot of stigma now about ADHD because this whole 
you know, COVID, Adderall, cerebral thing, like there's a stigma. So I would first definitely get either a psychiatric nurse practitioner or a psychiatrist or psychologist, mental health background to diagnose and not just, um, you know, the person's not focused, the child's not focusing or hyperactive because kids are, they're rambunctious. They're supposed to be active and such. So obviously Vanderbilt and as, as that, that part, and also the testing that comes with that. So I would say get really strong testing. That's the first thing that I would tell them to do. And then I would want, they should get a provider who either is going to specialize in ADHD or like that has that knowledge base on what works, but it's not just throwing medications. Yeah. Um, you know, like I said, my provider is big on like protein and like all of the things. It needs to be a holistic thing and definitely therapy because they are going to have is it's a struggle, right? It's um it's um anxiety producing. Um I remember, like I said, I just got diagnosed last year and I remember going through college, going through and thinking that I, my brain just I just take too long. I'm just you know, it's just me. And then I remember when I first started on Adderall and I remember my husband was like, well, have you noticed a difference? And I was like, I don't want to sound like a fiend, but it's life changing. Mm. And I'm like, is this what neurotypical people been like this whole time? And nobody told me. So I think that having a therapist for a child to help them navigate those feelings, um, and help them with that mindset of like, you're not dumb, you're not stupid. You just, some of the smartest people in the world have ADHD. Yeah. And what, and, what I love is um, when we first met, you were telling me how you share all these resources with moms. You have all these like different um, information and in like a Google, you know, folder or whatever. Yeah. And if you're okay with it, I'd like to share a few of those things in my podcast show notes. Oh yeah, absolutely. You navigate that. And that's, another key to like being a warrior mom is sharing all this stuff, you know, the hardships, the ups and downs. And, but here's the resources that I have used Mm -hmm. uh, that may work for you may not, you know, but here's some stuff, you know, because you've done so much work and research and you're like building up all this, these resources for for people to to use. And um, so they don't have to do all like spend all that time, like that, you know, right, right. And I and and even and everything in that folder, I haven't even gone through It's a lot. And you pick pick what matters to you at that moment. And then you 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 drive in. And I think that's another piece, like in addition to making sure you have a good medical team to manage that is also knowing things yourself, because there's a lot of stuff that I presented to the school, to the county, they didn't know what the hell I was talking about. When I said 2E, it was like, what, what are you talking about? And I'm like, twice exceptional. They're like, huh? And I was like, it's a child who's gifted and has a learning disability. You can't treat them the same way. Yes. So knowing that, because the mom is the best advocate. Yes. There's not going to be anybody who's going to advocate for your child like you. Yeah. And, um, and it's, and it's unrealistic to think that the counselors <clears throat> and all of these people would know all the things mm-hmm. because even in the teachers, like they're so, they have so much on their plate that they don't, they may not have the time or efforts, <clears throat> excuse me, or resources to go research. Yeah. All yeah. of these things. Yeah, yeah. So I think by if, if moms partner with the school, 
tear shit up if needed. Yes. <laughs> but knowing the things, yeah, it, it, it empowers them so much to say, <clears throat> this is what we're doing. Like when I have a 504 meeting, I run that meeting. You are not going to tell me. And even though, you know, and, and granted, they don't always agree with what I say, but I say, this is what needs to, this is what needs to happen. What can we do? Yeah. You're setting boundaries with them. That's amazing. Yes. Yes. Cause I like, even with the star test, I got her some accommodations that they didn't even know was available for the star test. Wow. And, for, right? and they were like, well, we, I don't know if we can um, uh, do that because I'm a star test. And I was like, it's susceptible by TEA. If I give you the policy, will you accept it? They were like, yeah. I emailed it right on to them. Wow. That's just amazing. That's just amazing. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming on my show. We're going to record that next episode. We've we've got to, because that is a whole other topic that is going to get me fired up, ladies. Yes. Well, I love you. Thank you so much. I'm so glad that we are friends. It's just, thank you. And do you see my little, my little rose quartz? Yes, your rose quartz. We've been talking about rose quartz. Um, It helps with self-love and, and calming. And I love my rose quartz. I I need to get some more. I I think I keep giving them away to to clients, you know, um, because they, they just need love, you know, I love you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye.